The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, eyes wide open, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Alice, good to be with you. I just read something today on BusinessInsider.com where Mark Faber said, not even gold will save us from what's coming. Do you believe that? Well, I read the same article, Alice, and, you know, I think there's a point where um, things get so chaotic. I mean, what he was indicating was that if there is a complete breakdown, I mean, you've got transportation breakdowns, then, you know, gold is probably not going to do you a whole lot of good. I mean, in the worst, worst case scenario, you probably would want, you know, food and water more than you would want gold, and that's kind of what that article said. Do I think it's going to go that far? And the answer is I don't know, and he doesn't know. I do think that if you had to have an asset in that kind of a condition other than through the water, then gold or silver would probably be your best because a farmer would be more willing to trade for something of gold or silver than he would, let's say, a flat-screen TV or some other article that would store value or be easily recognizable. So I think Mark made a good point that things are really getting scary here and that kind of backed off the gold bug scenario, but he did qualify it really with saying that, you know, in a really, really bad unwinding, and he used farmland as an example, you know, have your own land, be able to grow your own food, that article, and of course that's, you know, true, but it's not very easily obtainable. Jim Rogers was saying the same thing as well today. He stated that the only place really to go was agriculture. Does that mean as investors we should be looking at ag stocks, or is it just too late? Well, I don't agree with them. I mean, my opinion, and really what they're saying is they're too heavyweights, and that's their opinions, and I'm not saying don't, you know, have your own food supply if you can, or, you know, farm your own land, but what I am saying is that I don't think it's going to go that far, and it also is reminiscent to me that when you get some heavyweights that are kind of throwing in the towel, so to speak, that's probably about it. So for my, you know, being a counterintuitive type within the counterintuitive domain, meaning, you know, gold being a counterintuitive investment or a counterinvestment, when you got a Mark Faber and you've got a Jimmy Rogers basically saying, well, I'm not so sure I like this anymore, that could be pretty much a good indicator that we hit the bottom. So are these the guys that are going to come in and buy very soon? 
Well, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure Mark's probably got enough gold. I'm sure Mr. Rogers does. But as far as, you know, is it over, I'm not convinced it's over, else. I don't think it is. So we're not going from almost a bank failure in Cyprus to a currency collapse in the U.S., are we? Well, I don't think we are directly. I think indirectly. I mean, there's never been a fiat currency that hasn't really collapsed in the dollars, the reserve currency of the world, as they keep talking. But I don't think it's imminent. But I do think while you do have some time, it's probably prudent to think this thing through. And if you've got assets that um, need to be protected, I think you you should certainly consider the precious metals to be one of those avenues. Again, what Rogers and uh, I didn't see the Rogers interview, but I did read the Mark Faber one. Again, it's like the worst of the worst case, and usually you're not going to see that pervasive. You're not going to see that globally, I don't think. Again, he doesn't know. I don't know. But I just don't see it going that bad, and especially as it maybe trends that direction. People have ingenuity. People are survivalists. People will band together. I mean, look at what's happened in the real world. Look when Argentina had their currency collapse in 2000. I mean, these people got together and started putting in open-air markets and started keeping trade going and, you know, that you get a haircut and you could get vegetables and you could do all this stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that every culture is as robust as Argentinian, but I think people naturally will work together when times get difficult. So I just, again, don't see it. You know, both those guys are pretty well off. I know them both. I've actually been with both of them for a very limited time, Jim Rogers' case, but I think differently. I just do. Your philosophy has always been the same, though. You're waiting for opportunities, and as they occur, you'll become involved. That hasn't changed, has it? No, not really. I think there's a lot more to life than investing. I think that investing is very wonderful. I think that the precious metals are extremely important in the environment that we found ourselves in since basically August 15, 1971, when Nixon closed the gold world, knowing that all fiat currencies do collapse and it causes problems for the general population. So, you know, the same mantra that I've been saying for years holds. All the facts are still in place. But yet, you know, the sun's shining and, you know, there's still stuff going on and there's always economic activity. It just might be curtailed for a while, but I just don't see it where, you know, you wish you had your own farmland so you could grow the real food to, to stay alive. I just don't see it getting that far. Farmland next to a gold or silver mine, right? <laughs> that would work, sir. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral-prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp.'s 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong, proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Speaking of physical metals, several interviews ago, we spoke about a website where you can actually go and make arrangements to obtain physical silver and gold. 
Are you still affiliated with that? I am. It's uh, silver123.net, silver123.net. And it's a good program, really, for almost any scale investor. I mean, if you're a big investor, uh, you basically would want to place a phone call with them because, like any precious metals dealer, if you're going to move you know, a lot of cash into the asset class, you can get a better spread than you would if you're just buying you know, one coin or a roll of coins or that type of thing. And that's how all these dealers perform. If you're going to buy a small amount, you're going to pay a higher spread or a higher fee than if you're going to buy a huge amount. And that's just the way it works. So they are very much competitive with almost any dealer out there. And tell us about TheMorganReport.com. It's my life's work. It's on the Internet, obviously. Go to TheMorganReport.com. You can sign up for our free e-letter. You'll get the 10 Rules of Silver Investing. Come to you over the next three weeks or so. You'll get a weekend update on the economic situation. All that's for free. If you're a little more uh, aggressive in these markets, you can get the Morgan Report, which is Money, Metals, and Mining. We go into uh, all aspects of the global currency crisis, which we are in the midst of, or what to do to protect yourself and look for opportunities in the resource sector, not just silver, although our main focus is on the precious metal. And you've got a fairly significant following on your YouTube channel. I do. That thing has really exploded. I just get, I don't know what, 20 or 30 a day now. And that just seems to be very popular because all the interviews we do like yours always goes on that channel constantly and it's probably i don't know three four five a week i get into quite a bit as you know and uh, a lot of people have caught on to that so every day i check you know my inbox and there's you know someone subscribed to your youtube channel david thanks so much for joining me today on the program okay well thank you i've been speaking with analyst and newsletter writer david morgan his website is themorganreport.com listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website ellismartreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Find out a bunch more things to find out about at that guy's website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Stuart Ross, the president of El Tigre Silver Corp. Stuart, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much, Ellis. Glad to be here. Since I've seen you last, you've published some new drill hole results. Yes, we have in fact received assay results on the first six holes. We published those in a news release. They're confirming the prior drilling in the area and they're confirming that the target that we're looking for is there. We're continuing to drill it. We're at this point past 3,200 meters out of the 5,000 meter program. So we should be done uh, early April with the whole program. As more assay results come in, we'll be publishing them. What the assay results are showing us is confirmation that the target that we're drilling out to update our 43101 is as we previously thought. And it's the drill results are continuing to confirm that. We're very happy with that. Now you've got historical data. You're not exactly drilling blindly. You know where to put the drills in that big spread. Yes, we do. In 2011, we drilled roughly 2,300 meters. In 2012, another 24 meters. So we have prior drill results from that same area that we're drilling. It's the southern part of the property, and it's approximately 1.2 kilometers in length, this area that we're drilling. And the drilling we're doing now is basically infill drilling in that 1.2 kilometers so that we have 50-meter spacings. The 50-meter spacings will give an engineering firm the ability to uh, produce a block model. We're fairly certain when we put a drill in the ground what we're going to get. The confirmation that we're looking for is confirmation of the prior drill. 
results, and we're happy that it's uh, working out. Of course, you're drilling to determine the resource that you have in El Tigre, long beyond what you have in the tailings. Although you're an exploration company and shall continue to explore for quite some time, you're also a near-production company and you should be ready to go into production by the beginning of next year. Is that correct? Yes, it is. We're in the process of completing a funding for that production facility that will allow us to process the tailings. Along with the tailings, we'll be processing uh, the facility we're building will allow us uh, rock crushing, so we'll be processing some of the mine rock that is actually on the site. We'll mix about 25% of the mine rock with 75% tailings for our mill feed and be in production. It'll take us 12 months from the time the funding is completed to start the production. We'll be producing silver dory on site and that production facility will be expandable and will be the same facility that we will need to actually process mine rock. The area that we're drilling, as we drill the 50 meter spacings, our drill results come back from assay and the pulps are then sent out for metallurgical. And so we have first indications of what the metallurgical recovery on that rock would be. And we would hope that prior to working through the tailings, which is a considerable amount of time, we would be able to uh, start mining in that Gold Hill Mule Mountain area. Essentially, you're going to be shipping metal right out of there. That's correct. The dory bar is silver that's poured that comes from the tail end of the process as it goes through a Merrill Crow system. And what we end up with is silver bars, and the silver bars at that stage are roughly 90 to 92% pure, and then they're sent to a refiner who turns it into 99%. So we'll be producing silver on site. Give us an idea of where you believe the company is headed over the next 36 months, if you don't mind. No, not at all. In the short term, we'll finish the 5,000-meter drill program. We'll get the funding in place to start construction of the uh, tailings. We'll call it the tailings recovery production facility. That will take us a year to complete and get into production. And once it's in production, we'll continue to drill the existing target out to expand it as it's open to the north and south. So over the next two years, that drilling will continue. The production of the tailings plus mine rock will continue. And we will look to taking the target that we're defining in the southern part of the property and starting an open pit process uh, and I would hope to have that at least have that process started the engineering started on it if not the actual mining of it within 36 months. Tell us about the share structure of your company it's very tightly held. Yes it is we started as a capital pool corp and we've done a series of financings since March 2010 when we became public. We've raised somewhere around 12 million dollars we have approximately, call it 51 million shares outstanding, with about 16 million in warrants that are outstanding. So fully diluted is about 66 to 67 million shares. The financing have been done through private placement. There's been no distribution through offering memorandum or um, prospectus other than the Capital Pool Corp, which was three years ago. The stock is fairly tightly held within a group of private individuals who have been very supportive of the company. The vendor of the company is a resident of Edmonton, Alberta, and he has, along with myself, a network of um, fairly high net worth individuals who have participated in these things. They're not traders. They buy the stock to hold it. I do understand distribution. I understand the need for distribution for volume, but I believe that will come at this stage in the game. The market is such that I would rather be in the position we're in, where there's very little stock for sale. That way we hold the price at a fairly reasonable level. It's been a difficult market, and through that difficult market, we've managed 
to raise the funds necessary to continue with working capital requirements and also a drill program. Well, Stuart, once again, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to seeing you again in the near future back up in the mountains at the LT Gray Camp. Love to have you back anytime, Ellis. And uh, if not, meet you in Hermosillo and we can have a good steak. Incredible steak, that's for sure. Thanks again, Stuart, for joining me today on the program. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Ellis. I've been speaking with Stuart Ross, president of El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire program on iTunes. Join me now for a conversation with Ranting Andy Hoffman. Ranting Andy Hoffman spent 15 years on Wall Street before shifting his focus to precious metals in 2002. Over the past decade, he has become a global expert in gold and silver analysis, and in late 2011, joined Miles Franklin Precious Metals as its marketing director. Andy, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure, Ellis. I was surfing around the Internet this morning, and I found an article which really intrigued me, which is no longer available. Russian leader warns, get all money out of Western banks now. That's Russia talking. Well... You know, what happened in Cyprus is going to have worldwide ramifications, particularly in Europe, but for many more unintended reasons uh, than simply the depositors being stolen from. And one of them, of course, is that the Russians uh, had more money in those large deposits than any other people, and they're pretty angry about it. Uh, there's, there's no secret that Putin is a very rich man these days and uh, hates Westerners, particularly Americans, more than pretty much anyone. And, uh, you know, there are many forms of leverage that he can use to, uh, to get revenge. So really, unless you have physical gold or silver in Cyprus, you've got nothing right now. In Cyprus, they are going to have bigger problems than what they currently have right now. There's going to be uh, inflation coming there because obviously the, the nation is in trouble. And um, at some point, it is going to have to leave the European Union, just like Greece getting all of its bailouts left and right, the situation economically is worse than ever there, and ultimately uh, they are going to exit the euro, and there will be inflation. The same thing will happen in Cyprus. As for right now, uh, the small depositors still do have their money, although with uh, currency controls preventing them from getting all of it, and they have an, a nation which is going to be shunned in the uh, economic world for some time to come. Remember, those banks, you can call them good banks or bad banks, they still have massive exposure to Greece and the pigs and you know the other dying parts of Europe. So if you're a citizen of Cyprus right now, you've just lost something, uh, either your money or your or control of your money, if you don't take your money, what's left out when you can, and convert it to something else that's going to be appreciating, you're going to lose a lot more. I read that Italy and Spain may be next. Is that inconceivable? You know, this is nothing new. These countries all have the same financial and political problems across the board. I mean, fiat currency is a Ponzi scheme, and thus it must get larger to survive. And it must do so without confidence being lost. And therefore... You know, if every time that we speak and every time another year passes, you see greater amounts of debt and uh, and greater amounts of inflation and greater political instability. And it will keep going on. And right now, the weakest links in Europe are those pigs. Greece is still my bet as the one that really catalyzes the issues because the majority of the people want out of the euro and the country is collapsing as we speak. But right after it are the much larger economies of Spain, Portugal, Italy, and of course... 
France, which tries to pretend it's one of the big Europe countries, when in fact it has as much exposure and issues with uh, Southern Europe and unemployment and socialism as any country in Europe. How does China, Russia, and maybe Brazil benefit from the disenfranchising of the Western economies? I don't even know if I'd put Brazil in there. I mean, yes, they're a brick, and, and they are part of the emerging world that's not kowtowing to Western interests, but they're still a pretty small economy in the big picture. China and Russia are bigger stories, of course, because they're the ones who have become the wealthiest. I mean, they have their own issues, but generally speaking, they are the wealthiest nations right now. They are formulating economic and financial policies that are precluding the Westerners. And in time, especially all that gold and uh, all the commodities that they've been accumulating with their currency reserves are going to enable them to be the leaders of the new currency system. And, you know, as I said, Putin is a major enemy of the United States. In fact, Mitt Romney was dumb enough to call him our greatest geopolitical foe. And the Chinese are our primary economic competition. So, you know, some of these things aren't necessarily going to play out as fast as others. You know, where the gold goes is where the power goes, and the, the gold is going east. So once our currency continues to become devalued for a variety of reasons, do we become a great market for the Chinese and Russians purchasing our assets? Everyone with dollars has been doing that for years. It's, it's no different than, than me trading in my dollars for gold and silver. Nations, people, municipalities, you name it, they realize that they have depreciating assets and they're going to trade them in for real assets, particularly the, the Chinese who desperately need certain things. They are not a big oil producer. They do have to import a lot of their agriculture. So you will continue to see upward pressure on the necessities of life, A, because of population growth, and B, because of nations with these depreciating currencies getting out of them. And again, it's not just the dollar. I mean, we're seeing what I call, I wrote a piece called the final currency war, because you're seeing it across the board. The Japanese have devalued the yen by 20 plus percent this year. They may say we have deflation, but the fact is Tokyo has been the world's most expensive city for six years. So they're devaluing the yen, uh, while the British have taken the pound down 10 percent. And of course, uh, you know, Draghi uh, has, has said he will do whatever it takes to save the euro. Uh, which means printing money, while at the same time the Fed has announced QE3 and QE4 to cross the board scramble to get real assets, which is probably why you're seeing record gasoline prices around the world as we speak. Are we seeing liquid confiscation of assets by the government here in the U.S.? Well, not yet, at least. I mean, we've, we've seen it through inflation for the past hundred years, and, and particularly in the past decade, but we haven't yet seen confiscation, although people forget that when 2008, when everything was falling apart, the government was planning all kinds of things. They were actively discussing the confiscation of IRAs in Congress in 2008. And if they hadn't been able to turn around the markets with all that tarp money spending, you can bet that they would have, uh, let alone all those banks that were closing. Who knows what they would have done with the assets, given that the FDIC certainly didn't have enough money back then to backstop all the banks that were in danger of failing. And, you know, the next time around, the Fed's not going to have the balance sheet to prop everything up with money printing. So uh, you can bet that they're going to take something some way in the coming years. Andy, do you see a day when we're attempting to buy our household and energy needs with physical gold and silver? Look, I believe that we are going to, it's not a matter of believe, it will happen. We will have further devaluation of the currency for the reason I announced before. They must keep printing. They must do QE to infinity. They're trying to tell you it's a big recovery here. Uh, when in fact the Fed in the, at the same time is stepping up its money printing, keeping interest rates at all-time lows, while inflation is far from all-time lows. So in time, you'll continue to see uh, a depreciation of the currency, 
And at some point, the confidence will be reduced to the point where it will dramatically reduce, and it will cost a lot more to buy things. And what you're talking about is the worst-case scenario, which usually happens with fiat currencies. I mean, all 599 previous currencies are gone. So, you know, how bad will it be? Will it become a barter society temporarily? It sure could be. But ultimately, the end game will be a new currency that is based on physical gold and silver because they're the only substances that have ever worked throughout history. You would think in the last week or so there'd be a fever pitch with regard to purchase inquiries with Miles Franklin. Are you seeing that? Well, our business has been very good this month. In fact, since the Cyprus announcement, it's been, you know, we've had some of our best days, perhaps our best week or two since I've started in the past year and a half. But still, there's much of the population that doesn't quite get it. The powers that be are doing everything they possibly can to make sure that financial markets don't reflect the reality. I mean, really, it's amazing to watch the Dow go up every single day these days. We have three pieces of economic data, which were all miserably, miserably below expectations, and yet we have the Dow up again. You know, it's a game of confidence, and uh, right now, the dislocation between the Dow Jones Industrial Average and not only economies, but other markets throughout the world is greater than I've ever seen in my career. But, you know, in time, economic mother nature always wins. Is that a bubble waiting to pop all over again? When it comes to the Dow, I don't think of it that way because the Dow, to me, is completely unfreely traded, put it that way. It's common knowledge. I mean, the data is out there that the public long ago left the stock markets. I mean, a bubble would mean that people are buying it uh, with the belief it's going to go higher, whereas we know there's been equity outflows for years. We also know last year something like 80% of the hedge funds underperformed the market and the data early this year shows that they're all underperforming too. So the, the hedge funds have been falling off the earth too and therefore I don't see any froth because I don't really see market participation. I see algorithms. You know, I, write, I wrote a piece last year called the Dow Jones Propaganda Average talking about exactly how the Dow moves the same every way each day. So I think this is really just a propaganda piece which doesn't have market participation. The real issue is the bond market. Now again, of course that is manipulated by the Fed because they're buying all the treasury bonds, but there are so many other bonds out there that are tied to what the Fed's uh, actions are, and therefore there are so many people that are in overvalued bonds, and I do believe there's a lot of money to be lost there when the reality of inflation overcomes the Fed's money printing. And of course, you know, they can also say, oh yeah, we'll end QE one of these days, but if they did, that would pop the bond bubble on its own, because right now we know the Fed is buying all of the Treasury bonds out there. Tell us about your blog. It's milesfranklin.com. We are one of the largest bullion dealers in America. I publish a free daily newsletter five days a week. So does David Checkman, our founder. Just go to milesfranklin.com, and it's archived, or you can put your email address in and have it emailed each day. And one final question, Andy, for the benefit of those that don't currently own physical gold or silver. Is there any minimum? Minimum purchase? Not at all. I mean, we're happy to work with customers in either buying or selling or storing gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Very welcome. I've been speaking with ranting Andy Hoffman, the marketing director for MilesFranklin.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. We follow those that like to be followed. Follow them yourself at EllisMartinReport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, 
plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and in the U.S. as BHVCF. Dudley Baker is the editor of JuniorMiningResources.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Welcome to this segment of the Ellis Martin Report. Of course, I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm sitting here in our Los Angeles studios with my old friend and frequent guest on the program, Dudley Baker, who's visiting from Mexico. And we were having dinner last night, and Dudley brought up an interesting point that we're going to discuss in this segment. So many of these junior mining companies have discovered a 43-101 compliant resource. They keep growing that resource, and yet they haven't gone into production. They've been around for several years. The resource keeps growing, and none of these majors seem to be snapping them up. What's going on? What are your thoughts, Dudley? You know, this is an interesting topic that's recently come to to my attention. It does beg the question is, what the hell is really going on here? You know, most recently, I've had this conversation not only with you last night, but with my son that now is majoring in geology, is taking an economic geology class in a graduate program, uh, University of Texas, El Paso. And this exact subject is starting to come up in their class. So it's a savvy group of students. And they're all saying, what is the deal here? Why are these companies not taking the projects into production if they know they've got a significant resource? At what point do you decide to stop being a pure exploration company and take this into the development and the production stage? Now, they may have different reasons, but it's interesting that this is now coming up in the college class. It's almost like, for a better lack of way to put this, maybe a lot of the geos running the companies right now, maybe they got too many gray hairs, and maybe they're being very conservative, and maybe they don't have the expertise, many of them, to take the companies into production. I think a lot of times, I know me and probably a lot of my subscribers, we get tired of hearing the same names of these companies out there year after year after year, and they continue to raise money and dilute their shareholdings and maybe still continue to expand their resource base, the end game has to be what? Eventually, it has to be to put that company into production. So it is a, a fabulous question. I'll, I'm going to definitely be pursuing this more when uh, I'm going to actually attend one of the classes with my son next Tuesday. And uh, it's going to be, uh, I'm hoping I get a few minutes on the podium at my son's class and ask the question again of all the students directly myself. It's hard to wrap our hands around this deal. It's an awareness is just kind of coming to my attention now to really get serious about it. Why would a company not want to put this project into production? You know, especially at this time, if you can go in and start raising some revenue, then it makes sense. Now you've got revenue to actually spend for your future exploration instead of continuing to dilute, dilute, dilute. So, fabulous question, uh, fabulous discussion here. You know, here we are 2013, and some of these companies four or five years ago were saying, mm -hmm. we'll be in production, we expect to be in production by 2012, we expect to be in production by 2013, we expect to be a takeout candidate by 2012, mm -hmm. 2013. Here we are, 2013, nothing's happened, and what's happened to a lot of these juniors in the market, and you'll see it as 
their share prices have virtually collapsed, while those mm-hmm. companies that are in production or near production are doing fairly well, all things considered. Yeah. The one thing we were talking about last night, if I personally was sitting at the head of, of Barrick or, or Newmont or any of the major companies, let's say, that have, that have got a lot of cash in the kitty, looking for acquisitions, this is exactly the time that I would be going after these companies in this depressed market environment. I know a lot of the companies and the management want my holdings. They would not be excited about anybody approaching them right now in this market environment with any takeover opportunities. But I'm saying if I was the head guy at a Barrick or a Newmont, I wouldn't really care what these companies think. I'm going to come in, whether you want to call it a hostile a hostile takeover or whatever, but the opportunity is there. And, you know, the question is, why is this not happening on a much bigger scale right now? All I can say, I think my comments to you last night, Ellis, were that I want to thank the company, even though you're a big company with a lot of cash, emotionally, they're almost like a, an average investor. And I think right now they're almost like the deer in the headlights. They still are not happy with the current market environment. And maybe they're hesitant and cautious right now as well. Instead of being aggressive, if they truly believe that the market is going to be substantially higher for gold and silver, most of us believe this, I would think they would be aggressively stepping in and buying right now. What we know is going to happen, they're going to wait till higher prices. The companies that they want to acquire, they're going to pay double, triple, quadruple. They're going to get excited like the average investor. To me, a lot of the management, it's a big disconnect here. find it interesting. You're making them sound as nervous as the investors, but they're the leaders in the industry. They're the ones that uh, telegraph everything else that's going to happen, and no one's doing the telegraphing right now. So how do we expect this market, in fact, to turn around? It's going to turn around not because you and I want it to turn around or the new moms of the barracks want it to turn around. It's going to turn around based on bigger events in the world, whether that's the banking crisis, just all the fiat currencies in the world, and that our day is going to come here. None of us, it's not going to fulfill our personal wishes and hopes, and we can't determine that timetable. I think we're close to the markets. If we're Well, we're, we're substantially off the bottoms, and so I feel like you know, we ought to be having a rally starting soon. Usually there's a spring rally, but it's getting a little bit late here at the moment to get us started, but I think it's still going to happen. If you were an individual or a fund or a group of individuals that were sitting on anywhere from $25 million to $200 million to half a billion dollars right now, wouldn't you be going out and, and rating all these uh, juniors that you could that, that showed some, some, some possible value? I would without hesitation. If I was in control of a large block of money, I cannot imagine. I, I just think that they're all emotionally uh, stuck in the quicksand here, and they can't they can't make a decision. You know that doesn't mean that that we're at the ultimate lows right now. I mean maybe we are, but but there's no guarantee. You know this uh, has to be a fabulous time to be accumulating. But if I was heading up a big fund right now and had access to this much money, and had that decision making authority, I would be up here snatching up some incredible deals that you just know are going to be worth, you know, easily five times what they're selling for today, you know, in the next, at least next uh, year, couple of years. 
Well, the, there's another disconnect going on, and you were telling me about this, and I experienced it myself when I was in Mexico. The drilling companies down there in Sonora State, they're doing exceptionally well, and they've got almost more business than they can handle. Those are the guys that are going into the ground discovering the resource. It is interesting where a lot of segments of the business are different players, whether that's newsletter writers like myself, every other aspect of the business. It makes sense that, you know, slow times, business has slowed down a little bit for some of us. But yet the drillers seem to be doing very well, especially in Mexico. But those companies that still have cash, they're still trying to build the resource. And again, we get back to, you know, how long do you keep just trying to build a resource instead of taking the damn project into production? I'm looking forward to, to quizzing a lot more of, of my peers and, and other people in the business to what are you looking for? Is there a, a, a fixed mark that you're looking for? One of our companies that I own, it's got a significant silver resource of, of well over 150 million ounces, and it's not in production. And right now, I haven't seen concrete evidence that they're going to anywhere in the near future take it into production. Is so, it open pitable? Is it near surface? Uh, yeah, some of, of it is. Some of it's a lot of it's underground, but they could get stuff started, in my opinion. And the deal is, so w it will be a matter in the coming weeks. I'll be asking these guys specifically face-to-face -face with the president, what is the plan? And why would you not be pursuing an aggressive strategy here? Let's go get it. You know you've got it. There's no question you've got it. So let's start generating some revenue off of this damn company instead of making it a pure expiration play. How many years is this going to go on? We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and the U.S. as BHVCF. Columbia is no longer the country made famous by Tom Clancy books. Terrorists have been tamed and corruption has been cleaned up. In 2012, the World Bank cited Colombia as the safest jurisdiction in Latin America for foreign investment. The country is now host to at least seven major mining companies and numerous junior exploration companies, companies such as Bellhaven Copper and Gold. The Caca Belt of Colombia hosts more than 63 million ounces of gold in resources and reserves, and more than 40 million ounces of that has been discovered in the past six years. In a depressed market for resource equities, Bellhaven's quality resources at surface and a world-class gold belt, cash to advance current drilling, and strong management make it both a value stock and a growth stock. Find Bellhaven on the web at bellhavencg.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Once you know you have the resource, whether it's 43101 compliant or not, nothing's to keep you from getting the permits and going into the ground and, and getting that resource out, much like energy companies are doing right now. If you're an oil or a gas company mm -hmm. and you drill and you find it, you're funding your company right away and you're putting that into more drilling. Sure. And yeah. that's why those companies generate revenue faster than resource companies. It's mm -hmm. just not in the mindset of most precious metals concerns to uh, go into production right away. Do they even know how to do that? I'm just starting to really believe this is a management philosophy and some of the current management is not taking an aggressive position here of taking these projects into production. Well, maybe it's time for the old guard to move on. Well, and this is almost, it's interesting, this is what I, the message that I'm getting from my son through their graduate class here, and I'm going to be hopefully setting in on this class Tuesday, and I'm going to address this subject again with them. 
and truly get firsthand their feedback on this subject. We all know that there's a lot of older geos out there and that we've always heard that now there's going to be a big gap between the, the young ones that are majoring in, in geology right now versus the older ones. There's a big gap in this situation here. And I think there's a difference in management philosophy and where this younger group is saying, we'd go get it. We'd go get it. We know the resources there. And I think it's just the management philosophy of many of the companies, they're, they're too damn conservative for whatever reason, and they're letting those the gold and silver sit in the ground. Even today in these you know, what we think are kind of depressed prices for gold and silver, historically, we're just so damn close to the top. They should all be making money producing at this level. So I, I don't get it. You take them into productions, use that revenue now to defer your future exploration costs. You're going to keep expanding the your resource, obviously. Dudley, uh, tell us about your website. Junior Mining Resources. Yeah, that's our, our new marketing umbrella. Uh, things are going well. We've got two different services for pay. Is uh, our standby preciousmetalswarrants.com and thegreedyguru.com. So between those services, we approach the market in different ways. If you just uh, are interested in warrants, which warrants on a company that you like, you know, it gives you an additional leverage, bang for your buck in what will soon, we hope, be a rip-roaring bull market in the resource sector. We follow almost religiously the insider activity, whether it be buys or sells, on any of these companies that we, uh, that we follow. You get to hear an audio of, from me every Thursday and talking about uh, what the markets are doing in my personal portfolio. The Greedy Guru, you literally get the top picks of the pros, where we follow maybe 20-plus other newsletters and analysts, and we focus on only those companies that have three or more other newsletters recommending. Basically, we take the 2,000 or plus companies that are trading, narrow this list down to 20 or so stocks. It's a nice short list and makes it easy for anybody new to the sector. What do I buy? This is kind of the best of the best of the top picks of the pros. So we approach it in different ways and uh, always welcome everybody. Come take a look and see what we've got to offer. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you this time in our Los Angeles studios. Thanks for joining me today on the program. This has been a lot of fun to be with you here in the studios, Ellis. It's been a great time. I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of JuniorMiningResources.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHB and in the U.S. as BHVCF. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its Dumbo Zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Hi, Alice. It's uh, nice to be talking to you again. Since we've last spoken, Alkane has had two significant news releases. The government of New South Wales has granted you that mining lease that you were waiting for. It's a new government, isn't it? And then you have an update on construction at Tomlingley. You expect to be producing gold by the end of the year. Is that correct? That's correct. 
Correct, yes. I mean, it certainly was a, a long process to get the mining lease approved, and you, you're right about the government, although they did change about uh, two years ago, but like all new governments, they take a little while to get things sorted out, but yes, we finally had the mining lease granted, and uh, that's enabled us to push the button to go. Uh, we virtually started the construction work immediately after we got approval, and relatively short timetable to get the project up and running, so by the end of the year, so certainly in December, we'll be commissioning the plant, and should be fully producing gold uh, sometime early in the new year, so it's going well. Any chance that can happen sooner? I'm sure you're being conservative by saying you expect to begin producing gold by the beginning of next year, allowing yourself some extra time, but if you already have shovels in the ground, who knows? Yes, it's, um, I'm always a bit cautious. Uh, the engineers assure me that's the timetable and uh, I have to be guided by their opinions and uh, yes, it'd be, it'd be great to do a shorter timetable, but I think realistically it's still about probably 10 months, 11 months to construct and then get it up and running. You're extending your mine life at Tomlingley from 7 to 10 years, is that true? Yes, it's heading in the right direction. Uh, just recently, and along with the mining lease approval, we've announced some drilling results from a, a new prospect inside the mining lease area, which is good. It's very close to the existing infrastructure. But it's another deposit we call Coloma 2, just because it's located near the actual main Coloma deposit. And we've generated some quite spectacular drill intersections. Uh, some we announced yesterday was a metre at 821 grams, and if I convert that for you, it's about probably three and a half feet at 26 ounces. So you can appreciate that's a quite a spectacular intercept. It, it's certainly the best we've ever had in the whole of the Tomlingley Gold Project where we've been drilling now for sort of eight or nine years, so it's nice to see a spectacular result, but supported by many, many other good results also, which uh, just helps the overall sort of future of the project. And extending it out, as you said, from its sort of seven-and-a-half-year life out towards the ten years, which is what we always targeted. That's almost an unbelievable amount. I don't see that too often. Look, it's, I have to say... It's not that uncommon when you're dealing with gold and uh, every now and again you do pick up one of these spectacular intersections. A, a drill bit just happens to go through a very rich patch in the ground. But it'd be nice to say you could do it regularly and end up with some quite spectacular average grades across the deposit, but it doesn't happen all that, that often. But at least, as I said, the supporting other drilling intersections we're getting are supporting a, a fairly good project there, but um, that's still a little way to go before we can sign off and say what the resource is and what the mineability of it is. Did you take any photographs of the core? It's actually from what we call a reverse circulation drilling, so that uses a hammer hammering into the ground, so the sample comes up as sort of fine powder, but the geologist who was uh, logging the material at the time said he was a bit taken aback because at first of all he thought it was something like pyrite disseminated through the crushed sample, and then he looked closely and realised it was gold, so that's pretty unusual in my experience just to see gold, in particularly in a reverse circulation type sample is very unusual, but it it's quite clear there, apparently. But no, to answer your question, sorry, we, we didn't take any photographs. We probably should. I'd love to see them. You can almost take that right to the smelter, can't you? You could probably sieve the sample and, and then make some money just out of the residual gold with those sorts of grades at 26 ounces. In that sample, in today's gold price, you've got several hundred thousand dollars. Not bad for a day's work, I guess. It'd be great, yeah. Just love to think you could do that all the time. Instead of having a mining operation, a processing facility, we'll all get out there with our shovels and uh, dig our way to glory. That's almost how it was done back in the Old West in the 1850s here in California. No, absolutely. I, I think worldwide, the prospector activity and you know, the one in 1,000 or one in 10,000 prospectors that made it good probably had one of those situations where he, he sunk his shovel into something quite spectacular and, and made his fortune. So uh, unfortunately, we tend to be a bit more systematic these days and do things and spend large amounts of money 
getting large deposits and building large processing plants and doing all that, but uh, perhaps the good old days sometimes are better. Well, no matter what the share price seems to be for gold stocks right now, you're headed into production. You'll have a market for that gold right away. That will bring revenue into the company. Not many juniors can say that at the moment. No, absolutely, uh, and you're right. I mean, it was always the target with this project. We knew it was never going to be a large gold operation, but at 55, 60,000 ounces a year, it'll generate something like 30 million a year cash flow. Uh, and if we do push it out from the seven and a half years to 10 years, and that's a, a nice, consistent, steady stream uh, of income. It keeps us out of the need to go back to the market all the time to, to keep generating funds. So uh, it'll be a very good, and as we call it, a, a bread and butter business for us while we look towards to developing the, the big project. Well, we have a depressed market, so to speak, for precious metals, although compared to several years ago, bullion is still indeed high. We're seeing elevated prices for platinum and palladium. Car sales are up here in the great state of California, the world's eighth largest economy. In fact, they're booming. This has to be a great sign for companies slated to produce base metals, rarers, rare metals, zirconium, and a host of other minerals. The economy may be turning around here in the U.S. Yes, I mean, that's certainly the vibes we're getting also. We're hearing that there certainly are some, some signs of life and starting to rub off through the consumer profiles and what's coming out. And as you're right, I mean, across the board, the metals that we're interested in, mainly the zirconium and the rare earths, have been really quite low for 12 months now that they've taken a real hammering but it's very important going forward to see the u.s economy rebound because there's no doubt it's it's one of the most important economies in the world and you're right about things like vehicle sales i mean one of the major uses of zirconia is that it's a ceramic that sits in the car exhaust system it's that bulbous thing down towards the back end of your exhaust and that uses about half a kilo of zirconia ceramic and it's an integral part of the emissions minimization so we're very happy to see car sales starting to pick up because that'll flow on back into the guys that manufacture the auto catalysts and hence come and consume zirconia which we produce so it's all good to see and it's all good to see a little bit of i guess vibrancy starting to come back into the world you haven't really experienced any sort of recession in Australia, have you? No, but it's been mixed. The politicians love to talk about a two-speed economy here, and they've got the general mining industry, the resources sector, is really booming along and has been for five or six years. The manufacturing side of the country has been very depressed. We have great difficulty competing with Asian imports and those sort of things. So that's taken a bit of a hammering. So I guess overall, though, the country's come out pretty well, really supported by the resources industry. I do shudder to think what it would have looked like had we not had that very vibrant resource industry. So everything that you'll be producing will go offshore? At this stage, yes. We really have a very limited market here for what I call these exotic metals, the, the sort of things that go that they're made into. The Australian manufacturing industry is quite small. We've traditionally tended to, to buy things in from, from the US, China and Europe. And so that's where our product goes. It goes off to where those metals are consumed. And in a sense, no matter what the economy is doing around the world, all of that offtake is spoken for in advance isn't it? It is. Uh, certainly we're still working on the zirconium side particularly because we've changed our strategy slightly. We were encouraged two years ago by a large Asian group to look at producing a product called zirconium oxychloride and the reason for that was that China currently supplies about 90% of the world's uh, zirconium oxychloride and this particular partner was seeing rapid escalations in price restrictions in supply so they came to us and said look you've got a very large resource that's not related to zircon which is the, the normal precursor to oxychloride and would we look at it together with them to develop a, a new source now we've gone down that path but at a point now where in the last 
six months, we've seen that there's carnium oxychloride. Really, the price, the demand for it collapsed dramatically. And so we've now reverted back to our original concept, which is to produce other zirconium chemicals and the zirconias particularly, the, the high-purity zirconia, which we produce from our standard flow sheets. So that's the only area where we probably changed our model in terms of sales in the last uh, six months. But things like our niobium, uh, we're very close to signing the final stages of a joint venture to produce ferro-niobium and sell to a European alloy manufacturer. And then with the rare earths, our deal with the, the giant uh, chemical company in Japan, Shinetsu, is progressing very, very well. And that's a, I still consider that the most exciting development that we've done with the Dubbo Zirconia project, just guaranteed to take our output of the two light, the light concentrate and the heavy concentrate and then produce all the individual separated rare earths and then have Shinetsu buy the, the area that they have interest in and, and leave us with the remainder to sell. So it's a very good result. It takes out for us the risk of having to develop uh, a rare earth separation flow sheet and also the additional finance that would come with capital cost to, to build that plant. So we're very comfortable. Everything's going along quite well. Uh, the project is still on schedule for uh, approval late this year or early in the new year and then productions of late 2015. So it's all going the right direction. We're looking at a potential mid-tier company with Alcane, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, really... When you look at Alcane in, say, 2016, 2017, we'll be generating cash flows in the order of uh, $250 million Australian dollars a year from Dubbo Project, another $30 million a year from the Gold Project. So, you know, we'll be in that spectrum of 250 to $300 million a year, and that certainly will change the character of Alcane and set it up to be a strong company going way into the future. Now, it's quite obvious that I'm talking to the president of an Australian-based company, and this is an overseas interview, but Alcane actually trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY at pretty much a ground floor share price. I'm speculating when I say that, and you would be too. But the opportunity would be now to really capitalize on your investment as a new shareholder. Of course, there will continue to be opportunity as you roll out into production. But again, the best opportunity is probably right now when the market in general is potentially very undervalued. I completely agree with you. Yes, we believe we've got to the bottom. Uh, we've really had sort of downward trend now for six months on the Alcane share price, and it's been bouncing around that level now at around 60 cents Australian. That on the OTC would be uh, probably six dollars, uh, but it's been bouncing around that level now for some time. And when you look at the assets the company's got, I mean, just in cash and our tradable shares, uh, we've got something like 45 cents of value there. So if you take 45 cents from from 60 cents, and then you look at the value value in the, the Tommingley Gold project and the enormous value in the Dubbo Zirconia project, it's a very cheap price at this point in time. I guess that's one way to summarise it. And there's no reason not to speculate that when eyes and ears get back into the end of the sector again. You could be where you were a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, a $26, $27 a stock here in the U.S., yeah, correct. I mean, that's right. I mean, basically, that's what we think. We understand the market dynamics and, and there's a lot of concern. And uh, I guess people get very conservative in these type of markets and look more at risk factors. And, and the risk factors they'll apply to us are genuine. We've got two years to get the, the main project up and running. So there's two years to go. And who's going to be sure what happens in that time? But really, the, the downside to the Alcane value right now is pretty small and the upside is enormous and certainly we would believe that sometime going into the new year that the company should be significantly re-rated. Well the fact remains it's basically supply side economics. You have the supply, the demand is always going to be there and the supply may never actually meet the demand. And there's really nowhere to go but up. That's something you can't say but I'll go ahead and say it. 
Okay, thank you. I'll all agree with you then. Well, Ian, once again, it's been great having this conversation with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. Thanks very much, Alex. Appreciate it as always. I've been chatting with Ian Chalmers, the CEO and Managing Director of Alkane Resources. Alkane trades in the U.S. under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com, and download the Ellis Martin Report in its entirety on iTunes. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.